Well, hello again, dear listeners, and welcome to The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne, and here we are again, digging into different aspects of the Christian life and Christian ministry, Christian thought and action, all from the perspective of the truth of Christ crucified. And this week we take up a subject that we left hanging, really, at the end of last week's episode. Last week, you might remember, we were talking about training and pastors and those issues and answering some of your questions and featuring some of the very helpful comments that you sent in. And we finished with an interesting conundrum. Is the church that we are talking about, a church in which training happens in all sorts of different ways, is it really like a family that's focused on the spiritual welfare and growth of each individual member? In other words, is each member really worth training and developing just for their own sake, for their own development? Or is the church more like an army or a mission society with a vision and a purpose that lies beyond itself? And so training really is the training that's required for the army to meet its purpose, to fight its battle, to achieve its aims. And training would look different depending on the kind of vision of church that you have in that respect, whether you thought of church more like a family or more like an enterprise. In the language of classical sociology, we're really asking whether the church belongs to the sociological group that's called in German Gemeinschaft, a community, a family, or is it a society or an enterprise that is Gesellschaft? And that's what we're going to pick up and talk about in today's episode. And it's a fascinating subject, one that will take us not only back into the 20th century, into one of the 20th century's most significant theologians, but hopefully to an insight that will help us understand more clearly what the church really is. Well, is the church a family or an enterprise? They say that Death is often a musician's best career move. And this is plainly true. Elvis, for example, sold more records in the seven years after his death than in his entire earthly career. And the same is true for Michael Jackson and Kurt Cobain and all the rest of the dead rockers. But imagine what death by Nazis would do for your career. I guess it would make it go gangbusters. And I can't help wondering whether Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have become one of the megastars of 20th century Christian theology, had it not been for the noble and tragic manner of his demise at the hands of Hitler. But a megastar Bonhoeffer most certainly is. In his fairly brief life, he managed to pack in enough different kinds of writing to be beloved by all kinds of different groups. Uh, the evangelicals love him for cost of discipleship and life together and, and his thinking generally in the sort of mid-1930s. The liberals, they love his later work, which kind of advocated us a form of religionless Christianity that appeals to them, at least in their interpretation of it. He's loved by the social justice types for his obvious civil disobedience and his thinking on that question in relation to Nazism and fascism. And he's also beloved by theological academics because he really does write in quite a profound manner, especially in some of his earlier theological and ethical writings. And it's one of those earlier, pretty heavy-duty ecclesiological works called Sanctorum Communio that we're going to focus on in this episode, because in that work, Bonhoeffer inquires into what kind of sociological grouping the church is. How are we to understand this? In the categories of German sociology of the time, is the church 
to be understood as Gemeinschaft or Gesellschaft. Now, Gemeinschaft, as I've said, often translated community, is the kind of social grouping that is glued together by personal ties and relationships. Uh, Gemeinschaft exists because of some bond that binds people together with a lasting commitment to each other. A bond that has little or no reference outside the group itself. It might be shared blood, as in a family, or shared location, as in a village, or perhaps just personal friendship. It might be a shared ethnicity. The community, or the Gemeinschaft, exists for itself and is an end in itself. It's not the means to some other end. And the family, as I've said, is a prime example of this. Because what is the purpose of a family? It's just to be the family, to grow and to flourish as the family, to love and care for the people that we find ourselves in family relationship with. We don't choose our family or its members, and our commitment to one another isn't based on some external purpose or aim that we share together. We haven't gotten together as a family in order to do something, we're just a family. And that means that when a family member turns up on our doorstep in the middle of the night and is desperate for money, for example, we don't hesitate to help, or at least I like to think we wouldn't hesitate to help. We don't stop at that point and consider whether the family member deserves it or whether this is a very effective or efficient use of our money or whether even they can pay it back. We just help them because they're family and we're committed to them and they're committed to us. If a perfect stranger turned up on our doorstep asking for money, well, our response would be very different. And so in this sense, families are like little socialist communes. The old communist adage applies perfectly to families and to most Gemeinschaften, if you want to put it in German. The old communist adage was from each according to their ability and to each according to their need. And... That's what a family is like. We expect from each member of the family only what they're able to do. We expect much less from the two-year-old than we do from the teenager. And we only give and we do give to each member of the family according to their need, not according to what they deserve or what they've earned. In fact, just as an aside, this I think is one of the more perceptive criticisms of socialism that I've heard. It's that it seeks to impose the model of Gemeinschaft, of community or family, on an entire society. It expects the whole society to act in this way, to only expect from each according to their ability and to each according to their need, when the bonds of, of mutual commitment, the kind of unconditional family commitment you have, just can't be stretched that far. It's an application of the principle to the wrong grouping, and this is seen in the fact that I'd be very willing to provide a room in my house for my 10-year-old daughter rent-free, but that doesn't mean that I'm willing to do that for anyone who needs it. But anyway, I digress. Gemeinschaft, community, family. A group that's gathered together simply to be itself and to belong together because of something they share together. The counterpart to Gemeinschaft is Gesellschaft, often translated society. A society is a group of people who decide to get together for a particular purpose, some purpose that usually comes from outside of them that they agree to pursue together. We choose to be in a Gesellschaft kind of group because we share the goals or purposes that the other members of the group have. 
Classic examples would be a commercial business where we all get together and work hard together for a particular external purpose to make something, especially to make money, but to make or manufacture something or to offer some service to compete in business with other businesses and so on. Uh, commercial businesses are classic gazelle shaft types, as are things like lobby groups or sporting clubs. And societies of this type may indeed care for their members and even develop quite close friendships and relationships. But these relations are subordinate to the goal that the society has, which might be to make money or to exert influence or to enjoy football and win football games and whatever it might be. That's a society or a gazelle shaft. So which one of these best fits church? A society that has a purpose beyond itself or a community or family that has no rationale beyond itself and just loves one another as family? We can immediately see elements of both. At one level, the church does seem very much like a community or a family. The church is an end in itself. It's not the means to some other end. It's the thing that God is building in Jesus Christ. It's a body in which all the members are valued for themselves and where the contribution of all the different parts of the body, even the dishonorable parts, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, are welcomed and celebrated for the welfare and mutual benefit of the whole. The church is a household. It's a family. And in the church, the old communist adage seems quite appropriate. From each, according to their ability, to each, according to their need. This feels a bit like what the New Testament says about gifts and about the mutual obligation of disciples to love one another. So church does often feel like it's a community, a Gemeinschaft. But then again, like a Gesellschaft, like a society, the church also does have a purpose that is given to it. The church is an enterprise in that sense with a mission or a goal that comes to it from outside itself, from God, and provides a rationale for its various activities. This is the great purpose, of course, of God, to build his heavenly church, to gather the nations into the kingdom of his Son. And we are all commissioned to be his fellow workers in this grand building project. In fact, we find it quite normal and uncontroversial for churches to work hard, to organise themselves, and to pursue these various goals, to evangelise, for example, the community around us, and to follow up newcomers, and to manage all our different structures or trellises in the best way possible in order to achieve certain things together. And healthy churches, it seems to me, are much more goal-oriented and organised and intentional than a family is. So what's the answer then? Is the church more like a family or more like an enterprise? It's certainly easy to recognise different churches as being more like one than the other. We can think of the small, somewhat inward-looking, family-centric church on the one hand, and we think of the sort of more dynamic, growing, high-efficiency, larger church that's seeing lots of people converted and is reaching out into the community on the other hand. But it's tricky and not easy to distinguish or untangle these two tendencies or possibilities or types. Because the more we become like one, the less we become like the other, and we feel uneasy. The more intentional and managerial and goal-oriented we become, 
the less we feel like a family, like a Gemeinschaft, and we feel something is being lost. But the, the opposite is also true. The more family-oriented we become, the more that we wrap our arms around each other and focus on one another and have no ambition beyond simply caring for one another, the less we feel that we're making the difficult but necessary choices that we need to make to fulfill the Great Commission, to work together for the common goal of reaching the nations for Christ. So how are we to work this out? Well, two possible solutions suggest themselves. One would be to separate the two, to suggest that the church is indeed more like a family, a Gemeinschaft, and that we therefore need other things, other societies, to pursue particular purposes uh, within the overarching goals of the Great Commission. And if this seems like a strange idea, it's not that strange. In fact, it has quite a pedigree in Christian history, as seen in the proliferation of all sorts of different parachurch societies over the centuries that have sprung up to pursue particular missions or purposes. And this is especially the case in the last 250 or 300 years. But are we really prepared to say that the church should kind of outsource its role in the Great Commission to external societies and just act itself as a family? That doesn't sound quite right. Another approach would be to view the church as a blend of the two, as like a family business, a kind of mixed social grouping that kind of mashes together characteristics of both community and society. We're a family, but we have a project we're working on together. Or perhaps we're a mission society, but we love and care for each other as family. Now, this second solution is more attractive, and in fact, it's similar to Bonhoeffer's own approach, although he does give it his own unique twist. For a start, Bonhoeffer rejects the idea that the church could even be understood with reference to existing sociology, existing sociological categories. The church may seem similar in some respects to various social groupings. Uh, indeed, the New Testament itself uses various metaphors like the household to describe the church. But in essence, Bonhoeffer argues, the church is not an example of something that already exists. It's a completely new thing. It's a new reality that has been created by the grace of God through the incredible thing that God has done in our world in Jesus Christ. This seems like the right approach to me. Sociology is analytical. It goes out there and investigates and looks at different social groupings and tries to describe them. That is, social groupings that exist in our world. But all of the social groupings of our world are unavoidably compromised by who we are as sinful people, by the sinfulness of humanity. All human social forms are imperfect. They're fragmented, they're fractured, they're generally plagued by the fact that we are inwardly curved people. Our hearts turn in on ourselves. But through Jesus Christ, something new happens. We are set free by the Spirit from this inwardness, this inward curvedness, and we're enabled to relate to each other properly, to flow out to others instead of curving in on ourselves. And for the first time, to love other people properly as persons through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus creates this new sociological group or possibility, one that doesn't really fit existing classifications. It's a community of people, but not one that's based on blood or family or ethnicity or location or personal friendship or any human tie, 
but based only on Jesus Christ. There's no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, man or woman in the church, but all are one in Christ Jesus. He is the point and source of our unity. Our common bond is not just a commitment to one another based on something we share as humans. Jesus Christ is what we have in common. Unlike any earthly community or family, it's something outside ourselves that binds us together as community. And that's Jesus Christ. Now, as another little aside, some people have pointed out that perhaps this should moderate the trend towards homogeneous churches that are formed by looking at human points of affinity and gathering the church around affinity groups, around demographics, around interests. That's an interesting point, but not one that I've got time to dig into now. Maybe we'll come back to that. But to take Bonhoeffer's idea a little bit further, it's not only that Christ is the centre of the community, the one who forms the community around himself. That person who binds us together is also the one who makes us a society, who provides that community with a purpose and mission that is beyond itself. Church is not really a voluntary society that we choose to belong to because we want to pursue some particular goal together. Church is a society, but it's a society of people who are chosen by Jesus Christ to be part of his purpose, which is to build his body or to gather his disciples from all nations and see them grow to maturity in him. And so we have this new thing that is quite unlike anything else in our world. It's a community, a family, but its rationale and point of unity is not itself or any earthly affiliation or factor, but Jesus Christ and him alone. And so it's a community that looks beyond itself in love to others, because that's the nature of the person who gathers us and forms us together and makes us a family. And so the church is also a kind of society, but one that has its purpose built into its very fabric by the person who gathers it together and gives it its mission which is to bring him glory, the glory of Christ, by working with him to build his church. And so, like no human family, the church's unity comes from outside itself. And like no human enterprise, the church's purpose comes from within itself. As Bonhoeffer was very fond of saying, Christ is the center. He stands in the middle between us and God as a mediator, of course, but also between us and each other and between us and the world. We see everything and relate to everything only through him. And this forms and creates the church as a quite new thing, a thing that has intertwined elements of community and society, but can never really be identified completely with either one, nor fall into the sinful problems of either one. If we keep Jesus in the centre, if we see each other with the eyes of Jesus, as Bonhoeffer sometimes says, we won't ever be tempted to become some inward-looking, self-satisfied community club or to think that the welfare of other people in the family can ever be separated from their growth in Christ. And if we see our purposes and vision together also through Jesus and with his vision, with the eyes of Jesus if we see them as the aims to which Jesus himself calls us and which he himself achieves, 
we'll never sacrifice the welfare of individuals on the altar of success. We won't treat people as resources to get towards the goals that we have, towards some larger end. In other words, perhaps like Jesus himself, we will set our face resolutely on the goal that is before us and we'll cast off all hindrances and press on with perseverance towards that end. But also like Jesus, we will be gentle and lowly in heart towards the weary and the heavy laden and we'll build a community, a church together in which they find rest for their souls. Well, these are deep waters, aren't they? And I'm always interested in your reactions to these reflections. Does this make sense to you? Does your personality gravitate to one side or other of this dichotomy? Do you instinctively tend to see church as a family to wrap your arms around? Or more as an enterprise or business to organise and to lead? What's your tendency? And is it possible, do you think, to give full expression to both at the same time by having Jesus at the centre? That's my hunch. Well, that's the painful truth for this week. Thanks again for being here and for listening. And I hope that you can share this podcast with others. Please feel free to do that, to, sh- to flick it on to somebody else and have a discussion with them as well, because that's really what I'm wanting to achieve. I'm really wanting to stimulate you and encourage you and to stimulate discussion between you and others. In the meantime, one thing you can do is discuss it with me. If you'd like to get in touch and talk about today's episode, just send me an email at tonyjpain at me.com or you can go across to the Painful Truth website. That's thepainfultruth.online. Go to this week's article, Is Church a Family or an Enterprise? And just enter a comment in the comment section at the bottom. Well, that's about it for this week. Thanks again so much for being here. Great to talk with you. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. 